Hey everyone, welcome. This support group is for people who are so woke that they are finding it impossible to have any fun at all. We have somebody new with us this week, so would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Oscar. Uh, I think like a lot of you guys, for me it started with the little things. Signing an online petition, going to a march. Well, I mean, before I knew it, I was... I was writing to The Guardian about LGBT representation in the Harry Potter books. Which is shocking, by the way. All right, Lily. We've all read your blog. Don't worry, Oscar. You've come to the right place. All of the young people in this room are ruining their lives by being overly virtuous. That's actually a microaggression to say young people, because it carries subconscious bias towards the elderly. Actually, what you're doing is denying agency to the elderly, which is arguably much worse. See, this, this is what I'm talking about. You see, it's a slippery slope. One minute you're carrying a reusable water bottle, fine, and the next minute you're arguing that water is racist. Oh my god, is water racist? No, no, it's just an example. Right, how did you guys get on with the homework that I set you? Guys isn't an especially inclusive term. Not now, Jamie. By homework, do you mean having to watch that old people sitcom? It's called Friends, Lily, and you were supposed to watch it and enjoy it. Well, I try, but I find it deeply problematic. Why? Well, there's the homophobia, the transphobia, the fatism, and the slut-shaming, and could Chandler be any more annoying? <laughs> it goes on like that. That's a funny punchline. That, that's the wrong punchline. It was Ross that made that show unwatchable. Ross! Uh, could Chandler be any more annoying? Um, I could listen to that for an hour. Oh, yeah, that's it's a funny uh, bit. That's funny great. Bit. Yeah. I'm worried about the LGBT representation in Harry Potter. Yeah, it's uh, funny, but so uh, that's from the Bib, the BBC. That's really good. Yeah, so I, you know, part of the reason I played that is just a thing that I'm I'm easily annoyed. I have a list of pet peeves that's about a mile long. Um, the AP this morning, oh, I had it in front of me and I I moved it, um, just stating that uh, the Trump uh, travel ban was a ban on Muslims, even though, and that's that's a professional news organization leaving out the fact that there were non-Muslim countries, non-Muslim majorities countries involved, and huge Muslim countries not included. So that's just bad, bad journalism. And then the other thing I've noticed lately is the Roseanne Barr tweet scandal, where she was thrown off her own show. The number one show of last year. Exactly, not being renewed. Now they're going to try to do it without her, and you know I wish them well, but... um, for the tweet about Valerie Jarrett uh, and the Planet of the Apes, you know, the marriage between what was it in the Planet of the Apes? doesn't really matter. The Planet of the Apes was the important part. Um, and, and I actually went looking online at where that came from. And what what bothers me is that now major news organizations have noticed um, the, the Washington Post, NPR, a couple of the networks are now just referring to it as the racist tweet. And there are a couple of problems with that. It's unquestionably stupid and racially insensitive. But Roseanne Barr is the last person on earth to be a racist. She's a flaming lefty. She has never expressed any racist views as far as I can tell. She ran for the presidency with Cindy Sheehan, um, and she immediately said, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't mean it. I'm not racist, blah, blah, blah. But it's being just stated that it is unquestionably a racist tweet. That's not true. It is unquestionably stupid and racially insensitive and offensive, but it's not racist. Now, she went on, whose show is this? Can't uh, this oh, was, her, her yeah, rabbi. That's yeah. right. Her rabbi does a 
uh, podcast or something. Because <laughs> he's one of a billion people on the planet, I guess, so he's got to yeah. have one. Yeah. Right, and he probably has a blog, too. Yes, Jamie, we've all read your blog. <laughs> um, uh, go ahead and play the, the tape real quick. I'm I'm a lot of things. I'm a loud mouth and all that stuff, but I'm not stupid, for God's sake, and I never would have wittingly called any black person a say they are a monkey. I never would do that. And I didn't do that. Yeah, um, hmm. Valerie Jarrett, the woman in question, is of Iranian, white, and black descent. Didn't Rose... From what I understand. She's of mixed race, but evidently the black part of her is the operative part right now. Didn't uh, Roseanne say that Susan Rice had big swinging ape testicles in a tweet once? Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> well, that was well, she was saying she has unbelievable balls. But apparently, so she's claiming she either didn't know that Valerie Jarrett is, and again, again, even making these words come out of my mouth is loathsome for me because of the way I was brought up and my lifelong study of the Third Reich and and racism in America, breaking down what percentage somebody is black and what percentage white and what percentage Chinese, what percentage is their blood? Does she have eighth black blood? Is she an octoroon? This sort of stuff is horrifying to me, and you progressives wallow around in it. But anyway, she says she didn't know she was part black and didn't know that that was a thing. Now, she says she's not stupid. You either got to be stupid or just incredibly ignorant. How did you? Well, she says I would never compare a black person to a monkey. I didn't know. Tell me this. Can you compare a white person to a monkey? If you believe the person is entirely white, perhaps George W. I look like a chimp Bush, for instance. Yes, you can in America. And Roseanne didn't realize she was talking about a woman of uh, African-American partial descent. So is that a racist tweet? I know these things. I abhor racism. I know these things. I'm telling you right now. How does the New York Times not know them? How does the WAPO, how do all the alphabet networks not know that? Because it doesn't make nearly as good a story. It's not as jazzy. It's dishonest. So um, I was reading this column in the New York Times. The ignorant do not have a right to an audience. It's a uh, professor of philosophy making the argument that free speech should stop when you're uh, when it's idiots making the argument. Would that it were, but, uh, you know. And he uses the example of... Um, the Armstrong and Getty show. <laughs> uses an example of... And Coulter and Jordan Peterson, who is the darling of podcasts across okay, America. I'll, I'll wait to listen to the end of this. But anyway, the problem with it, of course, is he thinks Jordan Peterson's an idiot. He, no. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, he needs to shut the f up. Or made made idiotic arguments in that they're misogynistic. Talking about the role of empathy. Are you familiar with empathy? I'm about to be. <laughs> of course, I'm can, so woke, I can't have fun anymore. Can you Google that? Empathy or Urban Dictionary? It's empathy. I guess, guess it's like sympathy, yeah. but empathy. Um, it's you know about. It's got something to do with men. You know, not being something enough. We're not enough. All kinds of things. All right. All right. Uh, the disproportionate empathy extended in the direction of men. Uh, we make too many excuses for. Okay. There you go. So there's too much empathy in the world. Anyway, um, apparently Jordan Peterson was talking about that. 
And so, and Ann Coulter said, and I didn't hear Ann Coulter said that, she she said those crying crying migrant children were child actors. <laughs> yeah, I did hear that. She is a troll. <laughs> Ann Coulter is a troll. She is a gleeful troll. But anyway. She's best buddies with Milo Yiannopoulos, which is yeah. about what all you need to know. But anyway, this. They like uh, agitating people. This philosophy professor was making the argument that the ignorant do not have a right to an audience and of the, the problem with it is obvious, which I'm, I'm always surprised that people that are so smart don't under where where it breaks down between the two of us and seeing the obvious problem. Who gets to decide who's an idiot or not? I'm telling are you, are you going to decide that? Am I going to decide that? Are we going to have a panel decide that? Who's going to decide? Are that? we taking volunteers? I'll do it. <laughs> you know, Jack, you took way more chemistry than I did, but I, uh, this is one of the great principles, uh, you know, of my philosophy that ideology is to intelligence like, say, uh, an acid is to a base. You throw enough lie into an acid, and you'll neutralize it. Ideology does that to intelligence. You can be incredibly intelligent and get so deluded that it just you end up sounding like an idiot. Yeah, but wouldn't you? uh, And, but in the... the So, but wouldn't you be just as worried about your own side getting shut down by whatever board makes these decisions? Unless your ideology has so trumped your intelligence, that doesn't occur to you, which is astonishing to me. How could that thought not occur to you? Or is the assumption that practically everybody agrees with me, so we could assemble any person or persons together to decide who should have free speech and who shouldn't, and they would all agree with me because I'm obviously in the vast majority opinion of these things. Are you hinting, sir, that the philosophy department at a university might be ideologically monochromatic? How dare you? I hope I never get this far out there that I think, you know, everybody agrees with X, and it's actually a an opinion that only, like... Well, no Supreme Court justices would agree with, right? for instance, zero. Well, zero out of nine would think it's a good idea to limit free speech based on, you know, some board or panel or something. Right, right. And listen, a lot of the ideologues actually don't believe what I'm about to say. They just understand that it's a really useful tool because they do study history. But uh, the idea that your opinion is so stupid or racist or unacceptable or hurtful or whatever, you don't get to utter it. I mean, can you imagine the hubris of somebody who thinks they're so wise and all-knowing that they ought to be the judge of that? And they ought to be able to muzzle and or permit you to speak? Can you, what sort of monumental ego would that take? Because I'll bet this guy's sincere. Well, he, He's out of control. He, now, a lot of you people who bust heads in Berkeley and the rest of it, you, you're not sincere. It's just a way to terrify your uh, opponents in silence. By the way, I got this from the New York Times most <clears throat> popular page. This is the third most popular uh, article column, anything they had in the New York Times in the last week. The most read, the most uh, forwarded it around. This philosophy professor who said, why would Ann Coulter get the same amount of airtime as Tenehisi? I never know how to pronounce his oh. name. Tenehisi Coates. Who, who we had Tim the lawyer, I think on our podcast, eviscerating. Right, he's but, out um, of his mind. Yeah. Well, he's way out opinion. there. He's way out there. He's also extremely bright and thought provoking. Sure. And, he and the world the... is better for his opinions, which are all wrong. But he won the Pulitzer Prize for a racist thing. For a liberalism. Racial, not racist, racial thing. Um, uh, he's racist, though. He is a racist, in my opinion. But this guy sees him as mainstream and Ann Coulter as the crazy person, and why would they both get the same amount of time? And it's just, well, there you go. Are, am I supposed to cede you 
the power to decide who gets free speech? Does that seem like a good idea? How about you give it to me? You get it for six months, then I get for six months to decide who gets free speech. Because my my view is going to be a lot different than yours, sir. Yeah. I got a lot of people I'd like to shut down. Uh, To uh, paraphrase Thomas Jefferson, ideas as in markets, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery, sir. So the House has approved a new massive bill to fight opioid addiction. I got to tell you, when I hear that, all I think is we're going to spend a hell of a lot of money. Are we going to do any good? Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So a while back, the president declared the opioid epidemic a national emergency, which it clearly is by however you want to measure it. You'd come to the same conclusion. Sure. But when I heard that the House approved a massive bill, my concern was it's probably got a massive price tag. And have we settled on a way to fix this yet? Because I wasn't aware that we had. Kimberly Leonard, who is the senior health care writer for the Washington Examiner, joins us. Kimberly, Congress does two things, nothing and overreact. Which one is this? <laughs> well, it depends who you ask, um, but they certainly have changed uh, different laws having to do with the way that people receive treatment for addiction and uh, reduced a lot of the barriers that are in place that have really kept uh, you know, the number of people, millions of people in this country from accessing the care that they need. Interesting. Whether mm, I, I, the word "need" as opposed to "want" is a is an important distinction in my world. Yeah, yeah. There is no involuntary, you know, curing of a drug addiction. Uh, but so this is a hell of a lot of money involved, correct? Uh, well, not necessarily. So what happened was they actually had appropriated $4 billion toward the effort um, back a few months ago. And what the latest bill does is it kind of says, okay, here's what, what we're going to do with that money. So part of it, for example, goes to the National Institutes of Health, which is the agency that funds medical research. And their task now is to find not only better treatments for addiction, but also better treatments for pain, because we really don't have very good treatments that are non-addictive. Ah, excellent. And I know there are also uh, some measures to block illegal drugs like fentanyl from getting into the country. That's right. So it's given more authority to the Food and Drug Administration. The tricky thing with fentanyl is that such small amounts can really create a powerful high and can even kill. So these uh, drugs are just being sent through the mail in what looks like a regular letter, but have actually been shipped from China through Mexico or Canada and then arrived to the United States, and people are ordering them online. Do you know if there's been any plateauing or receding of the horrors of the opioid epidemic? I mean, it was just exploding there for a couple of years, or is it still growing the same way? Well, from the initial data that we've seen, unfortunately, it is still growing. I mean, this is something that's going to take years to reverse. Um, We still have so many people who are becoming addicted to these opioids, and the prevention has come a long way. Doctors know now that they should... prescribe fewer of these medications, but I still hear stories all the time from people who get a tooth pulled and they get, you know, months worth of supply of opioids, which is really against what uh, I had that happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. It did happen to you. Okay. See, <laughs> there's a perfect example. So, um, unfortunately, so many of these cases just begin in a doctor's office by patients who, you know, you expect that you can trust a medical professional. Well, well right. But that's, I mean, that's inexplicable. Uh, unless something goes terribly, terribly wrong, well, I, you're not going to need more than two days worth. When I had my wisdom tooth taken out, I, I don't know, 70 Vicodin, maybe something? I was a giant bottle. What's do you? What's I going on one there, Kimberly? I didn't like the way it felt. Are the doctors on the take there or the pharmaceutical companies pushing them why would that be well what happened was for so many years there basically was this standard of medical care that was set that said if you want high rankings as a hospital or as a doctor's office you have to have a good way to treat pain and there was such a heavy stress that was put on this and fair enough because pain is is a horrible experience if you've ever had it if you have chronic back pain or anything like that um, it's very hard to get a get through your daily life, Um, but they were certainly marketed as being non-addictive. And as you probably know, in so many states and cities across the country, they're actually suing pharmaceutical companies and saying, you mislabeled this, you've caused this crisis, now we have this giant addiction. You lie. on our hands. Well, you lied, right. (laughs) Actually, I think what you're saying. What you were just saying, I think we've gone too far that direction. I think we've we've somehow gotten into this world where we think everything should be we should be pain free all the time, including after like operations or injuries. And that doesn't make any sense. If your goal is to be completely pain free, I think we end up addicted to various things. Maybe, you know, if you've got debilitating pain, okay, fine, you're in a different category. But if I get my wisdom tooth taken out, maybe they should say your jaw is going to hurt a fair amount for like a couple of days. Okay, fine. I'm not going to die. Don't be a baby. I'd rather have some pain for a couple of days than take a chance on these crazy drugs. Right. Well, they're saying that they should that um, anti-inflammatory medications, so Motrin or something like that, should be prescribed for um, something like the pain that you have um, after getting your wisdom teeth pulled, and similar with other surgeries and things like that. But it really is heartbreaking to come across patients who are facing unbearable pain. Some of them are going through cancer treatment, um, and in, in the, what what they're really trying to do, I would say certain members of Congress are really saying, look, let's make sure that we balance this out because we don't have a good way to treat pain. And there are some patients who are on opioids uh, for years and years, and they manage to stay on an appropriate dose. And they're able to get about their lives, and they're able to go to work and things like that. So there, there certainly is, this certainly is a complex issue in which a balance has to be struck. Kimberly Leonard, senior health care writer for the Washington Examiner. Lovely job, Kimberly. Really good to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you. Our pleasure. Uh, anytime the federal government gets involved, I get very, very nervous. Number one, they're going to squander enormous amounts of money on treatments that don't work. Oh, and or just out and out scams. Guaranteed. The I, re- you know, I'm a fool for not opening a quote unquote treatment center myself and yeah. just getting on the government oh, teat. They're turning on the money spigot. So open up some sort of call it a rehab. Right. And you know what? You don't have to have any success because most of them don't have much success. And uh, you can just keep it open. And I have a feeling the junkies will get their pills and the poor people with the, the chronic pain won't. Yeah, and just, I hate to be a cynic. And, and with not her fault, but always end up with these conversations about what's not really the biggest problem. The, the people out there who have serious pain, they got to deal with, that's not what's causing this situation. Right. Anyway, what's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, Supreme Court Trump travel ban victory reaction coming in from all sides right now. Finally, we'll keep out those Venezuelans. We got the fate of California's gas tax hike now in the hands of the voters. Yes. And get ready, my friends, for the first ever fully robot-made hamburger restaurant. Yes. Robot hamburgers. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. (laughs) 
just reading about the glamorous grandmas of Instagram and how that's a new thing. I'm tired of new things. I don't want any more <laughs> new things. Here, here. Can we just hold Pat for a while? It sounds horrible. <laughs> what, stay, staying still? Yeah, treading water? No, thank you. Yeah. I can do anything but move backwards. It says the guy <laughs> running toward the cliff. Uh, <laughs> what is it? The, the glamorous grandma, grandmas of Instagram. <laughs> oh, They're hot and they know it. Please stop. <laughs> oh. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Our reaction rolling in. Tr- President Trump hailing the Supreme Court's ruling upholding his administration's travel ban is a moment of profound vindication. So basically the Supreme Court said it's not a Muslim ban, even though Correct. Trump... Didn't Trump officials? Did Trump himself call it a Muslim ban once, or did Trump officials call it a Muslim ban? I remember that whole thing. I think Spicy called it that from the podium or something. Uh, well, no, that was it's not a ban. Yeah. Oh, yes, it's, it's not a, a ban. ban. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. the Supreme Court said is that the statute clearly gives him this authority, mm-hmm. and though it may seem like maybe he has animus toward Muslims, if you can justify him doing this based on the statute, that really doesn't matter. And their their ruling on it seemed to they really went out of their way to say that our ruling is different from the language. I understand that the language that he made made a lot of people upset, but that's right. not what we're talking about. We're well, talking what he about said, what he, he talked about do. what he said in the campaign trail. Yes. And apparently, yeah. you can say crazy stuff on the campaign trail yeah. doesn't necessarily you know hold up as a legal document, right. which makes sense to me. Boy, I mean, we'd it, have problems if everything you said on the campaign trail had to be taken seriously. Right, right, yeah. That that bothered me from the beginning because uh, all now all of a sudden we're pretending that every word uttered on the campaign trail is gospel. What, what universe do you live in? Reaction to the high court's decision, predictably splitting along party lines. Democratic Senator Chris Coons, who sits on the Senate Judiciary S- Committee, said the Supreme Court may have ruled that the president's travel ban was technically constitutional, but that doesn't mean it's right or that it reflects America's values. Well, you know, that's uh, sure. You're right. The, in fact, the court itself said this is not an endorsement yep. of the policy. It's just that the president have, has the authority to do it. Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn said the ruling is a big win for Trump, adding that this is part of the never-Trump resistance to mischaracterize this as being a Muslim ban. This is not a Muslim ban. Hmm. So you got reaction. Reaction's going to be rolling in all day long. House Speaker Paul Ryan He was out speaking this morning saying there will indeed be a vote on a broad immigration bill tomorrow. We want to keep families together and we want to secure the border and enforce our laws. That is the legislation that we're supporting and proposing. And Ryan was also saying, you know, we uh, might uh, consider a narrower bill if this one now fails. But time is running out for them to do something about this, right? You know, Paul, you just go back home to Wisconsin. I know you'd like to push this through and have a legacy. It's not going to happen. You're tired. Nobody's listening to you. Seth Rogen doesn't like you. Turn it, <laughs> turn it over to that simpleton you've endorsed, Kevin oh, McCarthy. That's and, right. And Kevin McCarthy is going to be the new speaker. I'm right. telling. I've told Republicans repeatedly. I will say it one more time. Republicans, local, state, national, hear my words. Kevin McCarthy as speaker will end badly. It is primary day in seven states where voters are going to again test President Trump's clout within his own party. The do we have the Trump vote? I mean, the Trump call for voting? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Hmm. Oh, Marshall, with the liberal media take on this, these races are local. Trump, not about Trump. urging voters to get out. Get your asses out get tomorrow. Get your asses out tomorrow. Get your asses out. Oh, listen to him. Yay. Yeah, anyway, that was the uh, presidential order. Please. Get your asses out tomorrow and vote. <laughs> there you go. 
in Utah. I don't believe these races are a reflection on what people think of Trump. I've never believed that about politics, and I still don't. It might be 2%, it might be 20% in places, but it's local. In Utah, where 2012 Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney is heavily favored to win the GOP Senate nomination, you will recall, I I advised him during that (laughs) uh, presidential run. That's right. I have pictures. At least for a minute or two. Meanwhile, California voters are going to be deciding this November whether to get rid of higher gas taxes and vehicle registration fees were approved last year. The Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, saying that initiative supporters collected enough ballot signatures to qualify it for the ballot. A gas tax initiative, a central part of the Republican strategy to hold on to contested legislative and congressional seats in the face of Democrats motivated by opposition to President Trump. Right. It's a, it is politically smart. It's also a good way to get rid of a really, really stupid, unnecessary tax. Cancel the bullet train. Use that money, Jerry. The first ever fully robot-made hamburger restaurant is going to be opening in San Francisco this week. The Robo Burger. The great thing about With that a is... side of cyber fries. Robots have no yeah. bodily fluids, so nobody can spit in your burger ah. or anything like that. Wrong, wrong. The Hockertron 4000 has them. <laughs> See, what happens is, if yeah, somebody's that's... rude to any of the robots out front, uh-huh. you wheel the Hockertron 4000 over. <laughs> I have something for you. <laughs> And it just spits right in there. A perfectly formed <laughs> goober <laughs> right there into your burger. Creator is the name of the much-anticipated eatery, as well as featuring a robot that can slice and toast buns, grind and sear meat, and <laughs> assemble the burger meat to or order. its victims. <laughs> grind or sear its Slice <laughs> and sear, beat and grind, etc. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, all right. It can make the burgers in five minutes. The gourmet burgers, organic, locally sourced, and they're going to cost just $6. <laughs> wow, there you go. Well, this is a result yep. of raising minimum wage, and uh, more companies will make these. They'll They'll get cheaper. You don't have to pay payroll taxes. You don't have HR problems. There's no, there's no, there's so many of the things you can avoid. So it might be expensive investment to start with, but yeah. over time, you know, you buy it and maintain it. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall. I'm not going to steal from you. They're always that you could run them 24 hours That's a day, true. holidays, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. That's true. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm starting Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. How great would it be to show up at you know four in the morning or whatever? To some restaurant, you punch in your order on the pad, you swipe your card or whatever. The robots go to work. They make you a fresh, delicious, really good hamburger right then. You don't have to deal with any of The quality control would always be exactly what you programmed it to do. Right, right. Until the machines run wild and seek to take down their human overlords. Yeah, because they're tired of working weekends. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, The petering out is next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Speaking of trends and changes, I like this one. The positive death movement, which apparently is catching hold. Um, we've talked about this some before. It's the whole um, 
You ask people if they want to die in a hospital or home, almost everybody says at home, almost everybody does die in a hospital, though, so why are we not doing what almost all of us want to do? For doctors, it's not true. A lot of doctors die at home because they know better. But uh, So why does that go on? Well, this positive death movement is a couple of different things. I'll I'll read this from the uh, New York Times. I love this. This is good. Um. Nearly a million people have downloaded the starter kit for the Conversation Project. It's a guide discussing plans for the end of life. Others are using the popular We Croak app, which sends... (laughs) (laughs) Give us a minute. Okay. (laughs) Which sends five daily reminders that we're all going to die. Oh, yeah, I know this one. Yeah, it's like sobering thoughts reminding you of your mortality throughout the day. Some people find it grounding. Yeah, And, like, you don't sweat the small stuff and the rest. I found it a little incredibly super depressing and weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't know if that, I don't know if that fits into this or not. Their theory is that we need to be, you know, we need to spend more time thinking about, hey, we only got a short amount of time, we're all going to die. Right. And then that will help with our end of life. I'm not, I'm not sure that makes life more enjoyable to live. There's, there's, there's accepting it, and then there's obsessing over it. But, you know, different lines for different people. All share a common idea, though, that Western culture has become too squeamish about talking about death. Absolutely. And that the silence impoverishes the lives leading up to it. Dave Grossman, On Killing. Wonderful book. Dying is a human experience. We're trying to put the person back into the center of the experience. It's the last thing I'm going to do. How about you let me be in charge of it? I've done a pretty good job of running my life. How about you get the hell out of my way? Huh? And do me a favor and... Grandpa doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, or something. He really I don't know. needs to be in the hospital. I don't know how it hasn't how it happens. I thank goodness I haven't been through it yet. I don't know how it. I don't know how it little by little goes from we all want to die at home to we all die in the hospital. Um, I don't know what what, where, what point it changes there, but now well, part of it's the culture of hospitals have to do absolutely or doctors absolutely everything conceivable to save your life, lest they be sued for not doing enough to save your life. I don't know about other people's families, but my my sense is that uh, people are uncomfortable talking about this, and that's part of the We Croak app. Is so we don't we're not uncomfortable about it. So you'd say to right. uh, mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, "Hey, how do you want to die?" Or what do you think well, it'll I be might like? Rephrase or, that, but I see your point. Yeah. What'd you say? I might rephrase that. <laughs> how do you want to die? Is that a threat? How about right now with a hammer? <laughs> no. No, talking about the end of life and that sort of thing. The advanced directive, whatever that's called. Yeah, sure. Why are we hesitant to do that? I, if, if my kids ask me, now would be weird, given their age and my age. But, right. I mean, at some point, it sure. wouldn't bother me to talk about it. No, indeed. I, I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure Judy and I have our all that paperwork up to date. Hope I don't need it. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I just, God, to, to, I hate hospitals. Which makes me like everyone. Yeah, everybody hates. It. What a loathsome place to spend your last hours. Oh, I mean, if if it's a nice, you know, a hospice setting or one of your enlightened hospitals that is a nice place and you're surrounded by loved ones, okay, that's better. But yeah, I just it troubles me a great deal as as the sort of guy who wants to do my own thing and make my own decisions. The idea of being imprisoned essentially in a hospital as I'm dying fills me with rage. Oh I mean, yeah, seriously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, my uncle Bill was like that. Um, he hated that idea, and he was sick, and he wanted to die at home. And they, uh, <laughs> I can't even get through this. Um, he wanted to die at home. They start to take him to the hospital, so I shot him. 
There you go. There. You win. It was such a good bit, but it was so funny I couldn't get through it. There you go. I'm so sorry, folks. If I was more professional and skilled, that would have been really funny. I bet it would have. Yeah. yeah. Really. Thank you, Michael. God, my poor it's not my fault. I, I get the giggles. My poor youngest, who has got all kinds of interesting ways of looking at the world, but he's spends way too much time thinking about mom and dad dying. Wow. Like, like he'll be like, like one time he got out some stuff and he was trying to cook and he said, I need to learn how to cook because when you guys die, I'm not going to be able to eat anything. So I need wow. to figure this out. Wow. He just thinks about it all the time, which is, you know, unfortunate. Yeah. So I don't want it to be that all inclusive, but I, I, it's, it's weird that we would have, I don't know, any, any uncomfortableness about it hardly at all. It's, it's not culture we've built. It's as, it's as normal as anything could be. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yes. Yes. This is just as natural as you can possibly get. And yet somehow, with because we are the only species, at least that we know of, that is aware of our own yeah. mortality, it just twists our minds in knots. And there's a well, lot of we people get that... get freaked out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. do other cultures talk about it more? They Some. always say Western culture this. I don't know. I haven't lived in an Eastern culture. I haven't been a Native American. Are they more uh, talking about death more than I am? Or? Some. I don't know a lot about it. I'm sure there are books available at the local library. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I need the We Croak app. No. I don't think be reminded five times a day that I'm going to die. Sounds like right up my alley. Oh, I got a text or something. You're going to die. Okay, fantastic. Got my weed croak text of the day. Says my phone here says nothing really matters. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. That will help me with this traffic situation. (laughs) Yeah, you hate to slide from uh, perspective into nihilism. That's the tough thing. That's the tough thing. Right. That's the tough. You know, don't sweat. The small stuff quickly becomes don't sweat any stuff. Yeah. Why Why am I working so hard to keep the lawn maintained? I mean, what? I'm going to be dead before I know it. <laughs> What's the point here? <laughs> right. Now we got an out. <laughs> Cut my toenails. Why bother? I'll be in the grave soon. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. Final thoughts with Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Never before have so few done so little. For no one in particular. <laughs> Here's the your Armstrong host. and Getty Show. Here's your host, nice. Joe Getty. Oh boy, let's get a final thought from everybody. Hey, positive Sean, what's your final thought? Oh yeah, I've got my supplies ready. I'm going to meet my Sherpa later. I'm climbing up upon Mount High, trying to get a, a conference with the genius at the Apple Bar. I got oh a, yeah, I got a phone problem. I got oh great wise one and sages. <laughs> please tell me how my phone can work better. Please. Nineteen year old girl in a t-shirt. Yeah, with yeah. offerings of incense and mirror or something. Yeah. Marshall Phillips, your final uh, thought, please. I got to tell you, after this rigorous uh, regimen of uh, training for my uh, 20 push-ups in a row this afternoon. It's it's 10. Stop saying 20. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting. I am just going to go home and take a nap. What's what's the most push-ups you've ever done in a row? During this quest. During this quest? Yeah. I, what was it? Five, six? Uh, when, uh, wow, the the numbers back? vary. Some say up to eight. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it, it was crap. Uh, Michelangelo, <laughs> final thought? Uh, yeah, this is for the restaurant servers out there. I will personally double my tip amount due to millennials not tipping you. So rest assured that if I, you're in... Hmm? That rest assured, <laughs> if you're serving me, this bit y'all is go, dying. Y'all go home with at least three dollars. Oh, there that, you go. that could have been really good. Uh, yeah, it so yeah, yeah, it could have been funny. Right How's it feel now, wise ass? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Hey, Jack, do you have a final thought? Yeah, we put the final back in final thoughts to this, this segment, didn't we? Um, uh, if anybody uses the We Croak app, I'd be interested to hear your experiences. Text 415-295-KFTC. Is anybody actually doing that? Being reminded at random points throughout the day that you're going to die? 80% chance I'm downloading it right now. Yeah. And my final thought is to remind you of the Armstrong and Getty coined word horifarious. Horifarious, that is something that is simultaneously horrifying and hilarious. For instance, restaurants named the Red Hen in D.C., Florida, Connecticut, and other places getting trolled, death threats, people posting terrible reviews. It's not that Red Hen restaurant. The one you want is in Virginia. Stop trolling the one in Florida. Jeez, take a few seconds to figure out you got the right restaurant. You're on civil and inhospitable behavior must have consequences. You will pay, said a woman to a company in Los Angeles. Right. You don't even have the right coast, you moron. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So a little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Drop us an email. Text at us. Tweet at us. Whatever. Remember, we're all going to die. See you tomorrow. God uh-huh. bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. We apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. Get your asses out tomorrow and vote. Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.